Hello, listeners and watchers. I am Sasu Momere, and this is Dear Snake, my podcast about myself. Hopefully, um, a healthy, loving narcissism. This is Dear Dear XO8, which is my ninth episode and I just like to say that I just put Bio to sleep and while I was laying there next to him I was asking myself internally am I still gonna do that thing I said I was gonna do where when I get to my 10th episode I record using my fancy microphone that I bought while we were in Houston and Honestly, I'm a little bit undecided, mainly because um, I try to start recording as soon as Wyo goes to bed on Friday nights. I try to put him to bed at his actual bedtime, not only for his well-being as a growing child, but so that I can get this started early enough so that I can go to sleep on time. have a Korean class that starts at 10 a.m. on Saturday mornings, and it's good to wake up more than 10 minutes before that start time in the morning. But um, I record this video straight into the YouTube app, and I record the audio straight into the Anchor app, and I do it this way because it allows me to record without having to concern concern myself with editing which I can do I'm capable of editing a video or an audio piece but I'm not great at it Um, it's one of those places where the artist comes out in me in ways that aren't entirely helpful for a beginner tend to fixate and get caught on little things and put way much, way much, way too much slash much more time into it than I usually intend and it becomes this whole thing. Um, With recording into the microphone, it's got storage built in so the audio gets recorded onto a mini drive and then I have to take that out and move the audio over to some place where I can upload it. I have an adapter that will allow me to access the media on that drive through my iPad and my phone. I've tried using it once and I was overwhelmed and haven't tried it since. Sorry. Um, so I don't know whether or not I can actually get media from the microphone directly onto my iPad and if I have to use a computer I do not own a personal computer I only have the phone and the iPad I have access to a computer here but my friend that I live with works overnight shifts and takes her computer with her to school because she's um, getting her master's or whatever the equivalent is for she's becoming a midwife so when she has downtime at work she does her schoolwork. So basically it's this whole thing and I haven't decided if I'm ready to add new steps 
to this practice. I like it the way it is right now. It's not overwhelming to me at this point. I don't want to complicate it for myself, but I would also like to constantly increase the quality of the content that I offer, quite simply because my grandmother is a Virgo, and deep down inside I still feel like everything should be not only perfect, but superb, illustrious, elegant, exceptional, etc. So I mentioned that before, I may have even promised it to you. I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try. What I may end up doing this week is recording a Wednesday episode like I have once before and testing out the process and seeing how this goes. It's so hard for me. I always want to look at myself in this video, but if I look at the camera, then that makes you all who are watching feel more like I'm looking at you but like I said the narcissism and also I don't spend very much time looking at myself in the mirror so I'm always a little like oh there you are hi I cut my bangs last night they're even more baby bangs than they were before I love them and I guess that's where I'll start today I remember Last week I was feeling pretty good. I will say that this week I'm feeling even better in large part because I started bleeding two days ago and normally day one of my cycle is pretty torturous. Um, at worst, I have really dark thoughts. I get really depressed, moody and irritable um, and then slightly better than worse. I'm in a lot of pain, a lot of cramping, front and back of my body. Um, excuse me, and this really awful sensation in my lower body and my thighs, sometimes all the way down into my calves, of heaviness and throbbing. If I didn't know anything about the inside of my body and I had to guess, what's going on in there, I would say that it has felt like my blood was too thick to move and like it's just like crawling um, mucky and making me feel heavy. I've dealt with that since I was in my late 20s um, with the exception of being pregnant and the first few months um, after my cycle came back when I was breastfeeding. It wasn't too terrible. I don't remember the exact point that the PMDD onset again, but I do know that especially since we left the East Coast um, when I was in California, staying with my cousin, I think I was there for two or three months maybe, and all of those months were bad. I remember it being, I was laid out, I was exhausted, I was asking the older kids to make food for a while because I couldn't get up and my cousin made commentary about how I was smoking too much weed and that was making me incapable of taking care of the kids and I was like um, I was bleeding and couldn't stand up I was high but mostly I was bleeding and couldn't stand up in any case this month Today's the 14th. Two days ago, 
on the 12th, which also happens to have been the day after the new moon, so I'm almost synced up with the new moon, which is very spiritual sexy for me. I started my period, I had like one cramp that was this big, it was nothing, it was the itty bittiest thing in the world, and I haven't had, aside from today, today I noticed when I was standing up that my legs were feeling kind of like a little tiny version of that big awful sensation I used to deal with every month. <coughs> um, I felt it a little bit, but first day of my cycle I was active, I came up here and I cleaned the room, I had a bunch of positive energy. Today and yesterday I've been really focusing on giving while more one-on-one -on -one time and attention. We have been Lego building first thing in the morning. Um, as well as crafting different objects, okay, that are all really amazing. This one, he did it all by himself. I just helped him with the glue, which um, glows in the dark, mind you. Okay, I've been spending money on homeschool supplies so that I can give my baby an exciting experience in creating. Um, so that's been really lovely and it's been a really big deal for me because I think that it is largely a result of me having gained enough weight. I've gained 20 pounds, I've kept it on for the last month. I'm juicy, okay? I think that's one thing. And a massive reduction in my stress level that is allowing my body to go through its hormonal cycle um, without becoming torture. So, of all of the progresses I've made as a human being, that one feels like a really big deal because um, I'm not one of those people that abhors bleeding. Um, since my first cycle, I've always enjoyed it as um, release and a detox and a spiritual process. And it really hurt my feelings that I had to go through it in this painful, uncomfortable, gassy, moody, sometimes suicidal way. Um, I felt like I should be worshipped and adored, if by no one else, at least by myself in the moment of my, my flowering, my shedding, however you want to say it. So I'm happy that I, I've come this month to a point where it actually feels good in my body. Can we just like have a martial law for that? For anyone who's dealt with hormonal issues, uterine issues, cycle-related issues, I know you know what I'm talking about, how good it feels to get some relief and release. So cheers to that. In other good news, Wyo and I are insured in this state something that I was not able to get for us in Texas because I made too much money, which, I mean, it was flattering. <laughs> Thanks. But I need mental health care, y'all, like real bad. I also need glasses. I need to get my teeth scraped. The boy needs shots and dentists and all that other kind of thing. A big part of the reason I decided to move was that I, I, I want to be insured so that I can begin the process of actively... Um, seeking traditional medical help for some of my issues and trying to find some alternative help for others of my issues and 
a friend of mine here gave me a list of black therapists in the area which I'm very excited to dig into and she also <coughs> told me that she would do her best to help me find a queer black OBGYN because I haven't had um, a visit since my last postnatal appointment after giving birth to Wyo, which was obviously a long ass time ago. So I'm insured I got two massive envelopes of paper that will largely be thrown in the trash today from the insurance company. Thanks. We have our cards. I know my network. My friend hooked me up with her primary care physician who also does pediatrics so we can get easy referrals. Another friend today gave me the hookup for cheap frames and lenses as soon as I get my prescription. So I'm going to be balling out on the health. I'm excited. Um, <clears throat> and the last thing I wanted to share before I super duper get started is some numbers. Um, last week was my first week making video of this um, experience along with the audio that goes into the podcast and as of today that video has been watched six times so to the six people or x number of people who got me to six views thank you i love you i appreciate you i hope you enjoy this video as well <clears throat> and i'd like to let you know that you have my permission as the creator of this content to share the private links to any of the, this video, the one before, and any of the future ones, one time per person. Okay, I don't want you just making it rain on people, but you're allowed to be like, Sasumomir is the shit, you should get into them, and, and send one link and get them hooked, and hopefully they will become patrons so that they can engage more fully um, in, in, in my, my stuff. And then also for people who are listening to the podcast via your streaming media platform of choice, I would also be very grateful for and very much appreciate if you would share the links, let people know, because the idea is that this podcast is public as of now and available to everybody so people could listen to it and get like really hooked on my steez and then become patrons, right? Isn't that how it goes? Um, so that, and then also, I just want to run through some numbers for the podcast. These numbers make me so happy. I love you all for listening so much. Today is the 14th of May. I recorded, recorded my first episode of this podcast on the 27th of March. <sighs> on the 30th of April first podcast episode had 23 plays. Today it has 34. Each episode since the 30th has gone up by at least five plays, sometimes as many as 10 plays. I'm not going to read all of the numbers off for you all, but I have had 136 plays from an approximate audience of 13 and you are my 13 favorite people, aside from the six people who watched the video. I'm sure there's overlap. Whatever the X, Y in the equation is, I love you all. I'm super grateful for you. 
and I'm really happy that people are into this because I'm into it. I mentioned it before. My week builds, you know, as I get closer to Friday because I know that it's almost time to record the podcast and what am I going to talk about and blah, 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 blah. So I was really tired tonight as I was putting Wild to sleep. I decided to set an alarm because I was worried that I would fall asleep before I recorded the podcast, but I've always got a high energy about getting to the point where I'm plugged in and creating the media for you all so I made it and I have something very hopefully exciting in store for you tonight I've mentioned before that I'm getting close to the point of feeling ready to go back to the gram but I haven't yet entirely decided how I want to direct uh, myself in that way how often I want to post what I want to post blah I renamed my profile Flowers for Keith before I disabled it um, in dedication to an old lover of mine who died. Um, I don't know the details of his death, but I know that it was alcohol related because he was a really heavy drinker years ago when I was with him. Um, and I could tell by the way things were going then that he was eventually going to die of something related to alcohol. Um, and not to get too, too much into it before I start the other thing that you're about to find out about. Um, when I found out that he had died in the fall of last year, I was really struck, struck, um, by really intense and profound feelings of love and affection for this human being and in reflecting on our relationship I saw something really lovely in there um, in that short story I couldn't remember an instance of him having ever been unkind to me ever <laughs> ever and for all the unkindness I've dealt with especially from people that I held very close and was very dear to, um, it rang really loud in my heart that Keith had been, you know, despite the fact of slowly killing himself with alcohol, very noble in the way that he treated me, and me not so much, maybe, we're not going to get into me, we're not going to talk about me tonight, I was what I was, I was what I needed to be in the moment. But I came to reflect on that relationship as a much more beautiful thing that I had ever given it credit for uh, when I knew that he was living. <coughs> um, so the whole of my Instagram isn't going to be dedicated solely to Keith. Um, but there's sort of like an umbrella idea of letting him live in that space and letting our love live in that space, which includes the love I had in myself that told me that I needed to step away from that relationship. Um, so with that all said, I was thinking about him tonight, today, and I wondered if I could paint him. Um, portraits have never been my strong point. I think they come out looking nice. 
I think they seldom come out looking like the person <laughs> that sat for the portrait, which is sometimes unfortunate. And sometimes they come out looking great as art, but the faces can be really terrifying. And I don't even want to show them to the person who sat for me because I'm like, this looks like an angry alligator inhabited by a demon. I don't want you to take that as a reflection of how I feel about you or how I think that you look. Um, so with that caveat, um, I'm going to try to paint Keith tonight and I'm going to take this camera and I'm going to put it in this um, iPhone stand, I iPad stand that you can't see. And um, yeah, I'm going to paint while I talk. That's what I decided I wanted to do. And I should start because we're at 21 minutes already. And I want to make sure that I have time to really get into it. So I'm moving this iPad and I apologize for the noise. Because I know sometimes those little movements can be really loud in um, the microphone or the speakers. So my apologies if that was just like really chaotic in your ears. It's not intentional, I swear. So I thought it would be cool to just show you all a little bit of how I get set up here with my um, very lo-fi um, painting studio. <laughs> so, um, oh, Keith, Keith, Keith. While I get set up, I will say I'm watching this movie called Only Yesterday. It's an animated film. And it's on HBO Max, and I'm really enjoying it. I haven't finished it, but it's really um, strengthening my yearning for the Korean countryside. Um, and I don't know. I feel like if y'all like me, you might like the same things that I like. So if you're interested in something good to watch, you might want to check it out. This is my journal. This is my baby. These are my K-pop boys. This is my Apple Pencil. My lovely favorite pens, a vape that needs to be charged. It's got an empty cartridge. Okay, awesome. <clears throat> this is the page I chose for today's work. I don't always write on every page of my journals. Um, and when I don't use them for tracking my day, I go back and I use them for all sorts of things. Um, Korean notes, um, music. Whenever Wild gives me a flower or a leaf or something, I keep it. All of that sort of cute butt stuff. So, without further ado, Gudetama will hold me in place. Gudetama! And, um, let's get started here. So this is a new set of paints. I bought it a few months ago, but I've never actually used it except for a little bit of the gold. And you can see there's a sweet note from Soledad, my friend, who I love, which is just, I love stuff like that. Um, so we're going to put those there. I don't know how much I'm going to get into them, but I want them close in case I decide to mess with them. Um, and then I've got my big palette that, this is one of the things that I bought when I was still getting child support from Wiley. I got this empty tray. And then I took all of the Traveler's watercolor sets that I had and I filled them in here. You can 
pull the trays out and replace them. Ultimately, I want to have one of these where one side is entirely reds and pinks because those are my favorite colors. Um, right. And I've got some brushes here. And like I said, I love reds and pinks. So I have brushes and then I also have watercolor pencils. Um, one Faber-Castell, Faber-Castell. I never learned how you're supposed to pronounce that. I bet it's something French sounding. One Sanford and one Stettler. Um, three of my favorite tones. So I'll have those there in case we need them. Probably gonna use this. No, I'll use this one as a wash brush. there and then this is a um, travel cup with a little container for putting medicine in and then we've got this one here for your water I don't use it for medicine though I use it as a cup for when I travel when I paint on the go I'm using some bubble water to paint with a cucumber mint because I didn't feel like going back downstairs not even one flight <laughs> to get water from the bathroom. Um, and then, wow, is that it? All right, and I've got my little hanky that I use to dab my brush dry. And I love this thing because it's got a ring on the bottom, which makes me feel very painterly. And then I just have to remember I can't move this page too much because then you all won't be able to see what I'm painting keep it in the same place the entire time. I've made that mistake in the past when I've tried to document my process. I accidentally move the page and I go back and see that I have 45 minutes of the upper left-hand corner of something. Um, so we're going to do our best not to do that. And how are we going to do with Keith? I don't know. Do I remember his face? So Keith um, was at the time and still is to this day one of the most beautiful people I'd ever laid eyes on. Um, and I remember very sort of instantly falling in love with him, at least in terms of the way he looked. Maybe not the first time I saw him, but probably because I tend to be that way. Um, he told me that his father something it's not coming to mind right now but that his mother was Moorish and Thai and um, he was about Wyo's complexion but a little more olivey this already doesn't look like him he did not have lips like that at all his lips were more perfect um, he had beautiful eyes very dark eyelashes um, Nope. So this painting isn't going to look like Keith at all. But that's okay, because I'm going to think about him while I'm painting it. And I'm not giving myself too much bother about what things look like. Um, I worked with Keith at Strand Books, um, just south of Union Square. I think it's on 12th or 11th in Manhattan. And I was super excited about this job because um, when I got the job, I had just gone to New York again after returning home to live with my mom. 
for a bit and be a film sex actress, which was um, traumatizing among other things. Um, but I left there and I got on a bus um, from Southern California and I rode it across the country by myself with $160 to my name. And I think I had about 60 by the time I actually made it to New York. And when I pulled into the station, Penn Station, I had no idea where I was. You know, I didn't, I didn't know the city. I didn't know that, for instance, the numbers get smaller as you go south. I didn't know what the Upper West Side was above. <laughs> I had this very naive idea about what New York was, and I thought that if I stopped to look at a map, that anyone looking at me would be able to tell that I was new, and that I was just going to instantly get robbed. <laughs> so being myself, I pulled my rolling luggage out of Penn Station, and I just started walking, because I had to look like I knew where I was going. And um, I remember the bus got in in like the middle of the night and I walked from Penn Station to the Meatpacking District. I didn't know it then, but the cobbled streets later came to be known to me. Um, and I was so scared to ask anybody for anything because like I said, I was convinced that I was going to be robbed. I had no phone. I had very little money. I didn't know anyone in the actual city. Um, but I had been at school at Sarah Lawrence the year before, so I knew that if I could just get up to Sarah Lawrence and get in contact with someone, they might let me stay with them. And it's so funny to me now that I literally moved across the country by myself from Southern California to New York with no plan. <laughs> I just wanted to get away from my mother so badly. Um, anyway. So I started walking, and it was only God's grace that I walked to downtown. Um, I went to the Bowery Hostel, um, and on the way there, when I was in the meatpacking district, I saw a very, very tall queen. She was white, and had a bald head, and was quite bodysome, very full, uh, looked to be at least six foot tall, barefoot, and was wearing very high um, see-through platform shoes. <laughs> and I was like, this is a big old queer, so this is the safest person to ask. And I asked her, I was like, you know, do you know which way to get to the Bowery Hospital? And she was like, baby, you are all the way on the wrong side of town. <laughs> And she gave me instructions on how to get there, and I went, and I stayed there for two nights, which I, I think took all the money that I had. And then I went up to Sarah Lawrence, and I started sleeping in the student lounge um, until I ran into people who knew me from before or met me then and thought I was cool and would let me stay with them. And I applied for a bunch of jobs and I got a job working at the Strand. Um, there was another job before that, but I won't get into it 
for the sake of the podcast and time and all that sort of thing. <coughs> so, for anybody who doesn't know this about me already, I really, really love books. I really, really, really love books. I love reading them, I love holding them, I love shelving them. So, just to be an employee at a bookstore, stop, full stop, any bookstore brought me this sense of importance and I felt like I mattered because I would help people find the books of their dreams and all of this sort of thing. Um, So I was super excited about this job and early on in the job, I see this beautiful, beautiful human being. his name was Keith, and I used to stare at him through the books and just like dream about him like pushing me up a st- against a stack of books and like shoving his tongue down my throat. It was like I could barely stand to be anywhere near this man. He was so gorgeous to me. Um, everyone was sick to death of hearing me talk about Keith like talk to him, give him your number. So I finally got the umption and the gumption to give him my phone number and he didn't call me. Days passed, weeks passed, he didn't call me and I felt like such a big dummy. I felt so awkward, uncomfortable, I felt really ugly, you know, I went through all the different feelings of rejection. Um, and then to top it off, those mofos fired me. And you know I was good at my job, right? You know I was good at my job. They fired me because they were haters. So I lost my dream job and I never got to be with my dream man. I was super upset. And I got fired in March, right after I had signed a lease on an apartment. So I was super upset. Because <laughs> now how the fuck am I going to pay rent? So it was all trash. But whatever, I got a better job with better pay and things were fine. And that summer, I think I had like my first one night stand or some other shit that you can only be proud of when you're 20 nothing. So anyway, summer hits and one day I get a phone call and the person I answer, you know, hello, and the person's like, hey. And I'm waiting for what comes after. Hey, I'm like, hi, who, who is this? He's like, oh, Keith. And right as I was about to say, who the fuck is Keith? <laughs> it was from the Strand. And it wasn't just a realization. Like, oh, I know who you are. It wasn't just, oh, this is that hot guy that I wanted really badly finally calling me back. It was a full, like, April, May, June, July, four months, something like that, since I'd given this person my number. And I'm thinking to myself, either you kept that sheet of paper, you transferred it to someplace important, or you memorized my number after all of this time. Either way, this shit is in the back. Like, you know, I knew from the jump that we were about to bone and that I was in a position of power 
a new relationship because he had called me after all of this time, you know, and after I had really stopped thinking about him. So I don't remember too much about the first time that we were together, except that it was really cute, in my opinion. The parts of it that I do remember, um, you know, I didn't notice right away that he was an alcoholic, but we did meet somewhere with alcohol, like at a bar. And um, I remember asking him if we could go back to his place because I don't like being in public, which is totally true. And I remember his response, like he was shocked that I was making it so easy for him because he didn't realize that it wasn't something that I was doing for him, it was something that I was doing for myself. And um, when we got to his place, he offered me more alcohol and probably some marijuana, maybe even some cocaine. And he said something along the lines of, you know, don't worry, I'm not going to take advantage of you. And it's funny, I don't even remember what I said, but I bet again it was something witty and I feel like it was something along the lines of, you know, like I'm here to take advantage of you. Um, and we had sex and it didn't feel that great to my body, but it felt really good to my heart because it felt like being seen and it felt like being loved um, and he was kind to me. There was no other foot that dropped. There was no uh, meanness or coldness in the morning. There was no, I don't know. And I think part of it was the way Keith was and the fact that I had built up so many feelings for him already. I think the other part of it was the way that it went down. The fact that he had, you know, cherished this number and held on to it for so long and ultimately decided to call me really touched me because it meant that he spent all of that time with me, you know, like in some part of his mind. Um, I knew from the beginning, from the first time that I was with him, that I was someone special to him. Um, because you don't just hold on to somebody's number for all those months unless there's somebody special to you. And I remember asking him about it that night, like, did you keep that piece of paper? He was like, no, I threw it away. And I'm like, then how did you remember my number? He's like, I memorized it as soon as you gave it to me. And, you know, my little baby heart was just like all a flutter, like, wow. Um... I'm going to repeat again, Keith does not look, well he doesn't look like anything now because he's gone, but he did not look anything like what this family that I'm painting, but I still really like what I'm painting because even if it doesn't look like him, it's for him. <coughs> um, I saw Keith for a number of years, I honestly don't remember how many. Um, but I got a job working as a personal assistant to a woman who had a handbag and accessory company. And then I was making really good money and I worked in fashion, in the fashion district, okay? And I had my own desk and my own phone. And I was a fancy bitch and my eating disorder was in full effect. So I was really skinny. I had all the things and I didn't have a boyfriend per se but I didn't want one because I had Keith and what's really funny is that I love to complain about Keith 
you know, oh, this was Keith last night, and I would say it with this, like, like it was this awful thing. Like I said, I was, I was still in a much more toxic way at that point. I didn't understand that I didn't have to use the language, you know, that I saw on TV. I didn't understand that a sexual relationship doesn't have to be a burden. You know, so I took pride in being able to complain about my man because I thought that's what people do, what you're supposed to do. I think Keith was off on Thursdays and Sundays or something like that. I can't remember. There's so many things I don't remember. I'm so excited to get my journals back so that I can go through them and read the parts of my life that I don't remember anymore. Um, but on the night before his day off, he would always call me. It was always really simple. There was nothing cute about it. We didn't have pet names for each other. We were sweet to one another, but never in a mushy way. And he would just be like, hey, same voice as the first time. He called me. You coming over? And I would say yeah. And then later that night, at some point, I'd show up. Sometimes we'd go out at night so that he could bet on a game or on horses. He liked to gamble. And there was something about that that I liked because my favorite uncle was a gambler. He worked at the horse tracks in Los Angeles and he was also an alcoholic. I don't know that I saw it then. That part of the reason that I liked Keith is that he reminded me of my favorite people who were also drinking themselves to death. Um, but we would go out. He liked showing me to people. He liked impressing people with me and I could see that and it felt so good. Um, I didn't realize it until I went to Haiti with my teacher Frisner and I heard him bragging about me to everybody. He drove me all over Port-au-Prince and, you know, bragged to everyone about how I could play the bell better than their bell player and how I never got tired and how I carried all the drums after every show and how I was strong and all this other kind of thing. And I realized in those moments with Frisner that he was giving me something that I had, had missed. Um, I'm sure my parents bragged about me ever, you know, at some point on occasion, but it certainly wasn't a habit. Um, and my mom, who I love and adore, is also a pathological liar. And as much as I know she loves and adores me, she liked to use me as her show pony. So her mode of bragging would be to tell a group of people, while I was there, of course, that I spoke six languages and then say, you know, like, say something in French, Jeff. I didn't speak French to this day. I don't speak French. Um, I, I think the only phrase I knew how to say then was voulez-vous sortir la poubelle, which means will you take out the trash? Um, so I would say the truth, mom, I don't speak French. <laughs> and she would be upset and ashamed with me that I hadn't been willing to perform with her friends. And with my dad, my dad is super antisocial. He didn't have any friends, so we never ran into anybody. And if we did happen to run into somebody at the mall or something like that, 
their first response was to think that he was cheating on his wife with me because most people who do know my dad don't know that he has an eldest child other than my brother and sister. So there was never any space for bragging. And the space that was filled with bragging was also filled with, you know, layers of toxicity that were really painful for me. Um, so it makes sense that I appreciated Keith the way that I did because he was familiar to me in certain ways. He was also giving me something that I'd never had and didn't even realize I'd needed and always wanted. Um, he liked to watch horror films with me and I can't handle too much gore. And I think he thought that it was me being cutesy, you know, being afraid of the horror movie, like the cliches of the girlfriend cuddling up on the tough boyfriend because the movie got scary. But um, that shit really makes me feel ill. <laughs> I would be like, yo, you need to turn this off or I'm going to have to leave. <laughs> he would turn it off because um, he was sweet. He was sweet. He was a sweet man. And we would stay up all night talking. At some point he would push me over and hop on top of me and I would lay there feeling like I was winning at life, even though I wasn't enjoying what he was doing to my body. Sometimes the other women he was seeing would call and he would let their voices play on the answering machine. Keith, where are you? You said you were going to be here hours ago. What's going on? Call me back. And he would look at me, and I could tell he was trying to read me. He was trying to see what hearing that voice made me feel. And I remember one time, he said, should I let her up? Or no, right, because it wasn't, it wasn't someone on the, the answering machine. It was someone who had called the line from the lobby trying to get buzzed in. And I think he was trying to make me jealous because he didn't get it. So he asked me, you know, should I let her up? And I was like, sure bring her up and he was like you're kidding I was like no bring her up do you want me to go and I picked up my bag like I was gonna go and he like hung up the phone and ran to me no don't go stay he would never want to try to convince me of anything but I could tell he was always a little bit sad when I would leave and he saw other people while we were seeing each other and I never had a problem with that because I didn't want to see him all the time because more and more I was figuring out that he was an alcoholic and I spent years not knowing what to do about it if I should do anything about it if I was supposed to do anything about it do I really love this person does loving this person mean that I have a debt to him as I see that he's going through this sickness and so on and so forth um I lost my train of thought. I always get a little bit lost when I think about Keith. Sweet man. Every once in a while he would get too drunk. And he would start crying. And he would already be crying. And he would say, do you want to see me cry? And I was so mean. I'd say, no, Keith, this is weird. Like, stop. <laughs> it's awful. Because <laughs> in the moment it was kind of awful. I didn't want to go there with him but there was this one night 
our friend John came over and he told John to get him a pint. And John got him this big old bottle of Smirnoff. And when John walked in with that big bottle, I was like, fuck. Because I knew Keith and I knew if he gave him a big bottle, he was going to drink the whole bottle. That's why he only got a pint. Because when he drank as much as he had in the room, he was going to be too lazy to go out and get more. That was him you know, attempting without acknowledging that he had a problem because he never admitted that he was an alcoholic. Um, That was him trying to control himself and his illness. So John brings over this big old bottle of vodka and that was the first time I ever, quote, saw Keith drunk. He was always drunk, but that was the first time I ever saw it. And it was real sad. It was real ugly. He wasn't mean or anything, he was just sloppy and embarrassing. And I would have been more embarrassed, but John got really wasted too. And I stayed sober-ish, you know, less sober than they were because I wanted to make sure everybody was going to be alright. And put John in the cab home and he started acting like he wasn't going to be alright anymore. And um, lying there with Keith, we probably had sex. And then he does his whole bit, you know, you want to see me cry. And I remember that one shiny tear on his face and feeling so uncomfortable, not knowing what to do with myself, not really knowing what to do with him. And I just like laid there on his chest, you know, and I was like, if he does too much more of this, I'm going to leave. And he starts this thing. He says to me, you could do it. You could do it. And I never did ask him what it was but he just said over and over again you could do it you could be the one and there was a part of me that was thinking oh maybe he means like he wants to marry me or like that i'm the one you know we're gonna be together forever or something like that years later reflecting on it i think he was telling me that i thought i was slash asking me to be the one to help him get sober think that's what it was you know I can only guess Keith and I were very deep together but not with words you know we didn't spend a lot of time asking each other personal questions or talking about our feelings so I can't know what he meant when he said that I could be the one but my guess is that he thought that maybe I could love him enough or be with him enough or convince him you know to stop what he was doing and that first tear was, I think, the tear that he would squeeze out to see if it would make, you know, his lover, the person sharing his bed, love him a little bit more. But then he started really crying. And I remember not being able to look at him because I felt the tears going through his body and the kind of sobby, you know, it's like lying on a big old baby. And he was like, I wish I had a truck. wish we could get in a truck and just start driving we could just drive and he told me about how he wanted to take me to his childhood home and then we could just drive and drive and I remember thinking in that moment Keith you can't fucking drive you're always drunk (laughs) and it's funny how beautiful that moment is to me now in my memory in a way that 
I didn't allow it to be then in the moment when I was with Keith I made it into a really ugly thing I was a little bit ashamed of him especially once I figured out that he really was a big old alcoholic and that he really I mean you know there would be times when I'd visit him and he'd spend the first 20 minutes finishing all of the beer bottles and cans from the night before one of the last few times I saw him he was covered in bruises um, from just bumping into things because his, his organs were failing um, the room reeked of urine I'm pretty sure he was hoarding his urine because it was easier to do that than to get out of bed and he was probably also pissing himself in his sleep um, you know so I I took the human out of him when I was with him to a certain extent and I used him as my whipping post and went back to him when other people treated me badly. I knew he would always be there. I knew I could show up at his place drunk at 3 o'clock in the morning and he'd take care of me and give me cocaine and let me roll his tobacco and he'd go out and buy me weed if he didn't have any. He'd go out and get me cocaine if he was out and treated me like a princess. And I saw it as an ugly thing because I saw myself as an ugly thing. I saw him as an ugly thing, even though he was so beautiful to me. So it's very interesting for me to reflect on now. Um, I used to feel a lot of conflict about my relationship with Keith and what it meant about me, who he was and why he had come into my life. Um, Part of the reason that it was so profound hearing that he had died because it was by that point that this place in my heart had kind of sorted itself out in the background. I found out that he died because I Google him all the time to find out if he's dead. Um, and that one time, after years of Googling him and finding nothing because he never had a social media presence, I found his obituary, and there's nothing so profound as looking for something for years and then finding it. Uh, and I've never loved anybody the way that I love Keith. It's a special kind of love. I sing songs for him in my heart every day for months when we worked together and there was a little while before I lost my feeling and became ashamed where I really didn't feel like something divine had happened to me because he had decided to like me back so Melvin Keith Shelton that's his full name father. I want to say his father was from Holland. I can't believe I've forgotten. I feel like the story would be so much better if I remembered the details, right? But his father was some kind of white European. And his mother was Moorish and Thai. And I always imagine that she must have been really beautiful because Keith was really, really beautiful. Especially close up. And he was a Taurus. And he had eyes like a bull. I love the way he looked at me. His big old dark eyes. I loved his big hands. 
and if he was in a really good mood, like came over drunk at three o'clock in the morning, upset because someone else had decided to not love me as much as I wanted or thought that I needed, he would make me blueberry pancakes. And he made really good blueberry pancakes, y'all. And he would take my contact lenses out for me, put eye drops in my eye. Sweet man, very, very sweet man. Who I will always miss and always love. And who looks nothing like this painting that I've just made. But I'm happy because I did it on video and I did it while talking and it's going to be content. It is content. It is becoming more and more content and I want to get back into the habit of painting more all the time and you know, um, 12 or 13 years ago at this hour in New York, I might have been just arriving at Keith's hang out and screw and talk, watch hockey games that he had money on, and I never imagined then that I would be in my friend's attic, her 12-year-old daughter's room, that thankfully her 12-year-old daughter doesn't use that much, doing a watercolor of Keith and recording a podcast about how profound his love was to me. So here's to me for getting to some place I really never imagined I would ever be. Here's to you for listening to this, the ninth episode of Dear Snake, a podcast about whatever, about me and my feelings and what I'm going through in this life. If you are listening and you'd like to watch the video and see the painting that I made tonight, there should be a link to my Patreon somewhere on the main page for this blog or podcast whatever it is and if you become a patron i um, post a video weekly after i make my audio podcast there's also a link to my gofundme um i would love your support i'd love it if you tell your friends that my podcast is amazing um and fuck would love i love you for being here even if you don't tell anybody or give me any of your money i appreciate you for listening Thank you for being part of my audience. I hope you have a beautiful night, day, evening, afternoon, whatever it is. And I look forward to recording for you again next week and possibly on Wednesday when I possibly try out my microphone. Possibly, no promises. So, signing off. This is Sasun. Have a beautiful life.